welcome to the Trustees Without Borders podcast, a collaborative project between the Institute of Policy and Governance and the Community Change Collaborative at Virginia Tech. My name is Brad Stevens, and I'll be your host today. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome our guest, Mr. Doug Jackson. Doug is a Capacity Development Specialist with the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development, where he provides facilitation and strategic support to Virginia communities, as well as their placemaking partners. Additionally, for the past 15 years, he has served in leadership roles with Roanoke Virginia's Arts Commission and co-chaired that community's first arts and cultural plan. He currently serves as the City of Roanoke's Arts and Culture Coordinator, providing staff support and leadership for civic arts initiatives, including the City's public art program, creative placemaking strategies, and municipal arts funding. Doug, it's so good to have you with us today. Hey, it's great to be here, Brad. Very good. Well, Doug, uh, you do a lot of things. Kind of how do you define uh, the work that you do? Uh, I, it's pretty simple. I, I think it, it, I, when I look back, there's kind of a kind of a steady thread looking back all the way to the 90s. Um, and it is community development. And I guess more specifically, it's probably arts-based community development is where I get really excited. Um, and I think the arts have a specific capacity to engage at an introductory level where you can see your fingerprint on the world around you. And that's also become, I guess, part of my specialization if I have one. I'm very much a generalist. I'm a proud flag-waving generalist. Uh, but if I did have a special specialty, it would be those early stages where a group of people are coming together, a leader has an idea and is trying to rally a, a, a team or some energy behind it. And I, I think that's a pretty special moment or can be a pretty special moment. And it's a fun time to engage with a community. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, um, I'll take just a little step back into your comment here and, and go back to the idea of community development. Um, and kind of uh, that's an amorphous term here in the academic space. But kind of how do you understand what that means uh, for a real community and in practice? Yeah, I think there is something about the the group that's pretty key to that. Um, you know, it's, it's different than economic development. Uh, economic development is, and community development can often pursue the same goals, but there's a different way of doing it. So um, the engagement process, the kind of grassroots collaborative process, uh, process period, uh, makes a lot of difference in community development, whereas it might not in economic development. So I look at the people who are driving the change. Hmm. Do you think of uh, the arts as being uh, part of that process, uh, one form of that process taking place? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot a lot lately. Um, and I think that just the ability to envision and believe, uh, believe in something that's not there, see something that's not there, um, and then and then kind of go through the, the – you know, I guess cross the hurdles that it takes to 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 make it come about, um, and kind of that artistic process. I think there's a lot we can learn from that in the community development process as well. And I do think that when you think about the visual arts in particular and their role in the community around us, um, you can you know you can put a, a coat of paint on a mural, and we can kind of scoff at it and say, "Oh, that's only a coat of paint on a mural." But if you've got a lot of community hands who are putting that paint on the mirror on the, the wall, if you've got a lot of community minds who are thinking through what to put on the wall, if you've got 
uh, people coming together and saying, hey, there's a problem here. We've got graffiti on this wall. You know, you're kind of stepping back through the process. Uh, you can see the, 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 the potential for art to do a lot. Hmm. Well, I love this idea of uh, the art allowing us to see what is not not there. And in some ways, that's also about allowing us to see what could be there, mm-hmm. right? Um, so can, can you share a few examples from your uh, from your time about how the arts have been particularly effective in that community development uh, work? Yeah, well, you know, um, I, I guess I will <laughs> look back. I've been at, the, at DHCD for 15 years. And when I started, it was to specifically provide services to our Southwest Virginia strategies, and that's the Crooked Road, um, the Artisan Network, Round the Mountain. Uh, and then we uh, stepped into outdoor recreation as kind of the third leg of that stool as well. Um, and I think from the beginning, there was a piece of that that was about pride building. Like, what do we have here that's special? You know, and that's and that's asset-based community development, right? That's the the... the kind of the fundamentals of it. And the arts were a big part of that. Um, we were first started doing that work in Southwest Virginia. So there was a folklorist, Joe Wilson, who was just a just an amazing person and had all the knowledge about the traditional music uh, across the 19 counties of Southwest Virginia. And he and Todd Christensen, who was uh, in community development at, at the state at the time said, you know, kind of put their heads together at an Appalachian Regional Commission conference and said, well, what if we create a trail that helps us invest in these communities and see them as cultural centers, whereas they were once, um, you, you name it, if it was a furniture manufacturing or textile manufacturing or coal mining center, can it also, can it next be a cultural center, um, and then you know, so the inventory of those of those artistic assets were 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 pretty key. So you know I think that that's just that kind of that was the spark for that vision of of what can a place be that 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 it is now at its core, but we can we can highlight and promote and, and help the community um, benefit from. Interesting. Well, I I think there's a. Uh, an interesting question to ask there about, uh, you know, the arts can, have often been used as an economic development driver and, you know, for tourism or for jobs internally, whatever it may be. How do you kind of maintain the, so to speak, integrity of the artist or the art to be able to speak for itself and not simply become a tool for economic development and, and money making? Well, I, I guess you just said it. <laughs> you know, a lot of what we what we do is really about how we do it, and we've got to have these kind of mantras. Um, we've got to have a philosophy, um, a, a value set, and that's internalized, um, internalized across um, a team, internalized across a community. And in order to internalize that, I think you have to go through some discussions. Um, you have to be approached with someone who says, hey, we'll give you $50,000 uh, to put you the, the name of, you know, put your name on this product, say, or whatever, you know, just kind of the imaginary scenario. And, uh, and a community has to be able to say, does this advance our goals? Does it honor the individual? Does it honor the artistic effort? Does it honor, you know, and does it honor us? Um, so as we get going on a project like this, it's often, or, or any project in kind of community development, um, often it's a crisis moment. 
um, and a community might be feeling that they need to take anything they can they can get. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that, right? Uh, but part of part of the community development process has got to be uh, helping a community have their own conversations, um, undertake their own path, um, and a and a path that is worthy of the people that live there. Hmm. I, I I find that intriguing to think about the it being in a time of crisis, whether that's an immediate crisis or kind of a long ongoing crisis. Um, and you've spoken about the importance of process. How do you get people that want, that are worried and stressed, uh, going through something difficult, potentially there's some trauma there. How do you get them to slow down and engage in a process, um, when they kind of just want to get things done and get over it and move on? How do you kind of uh, encourage them to think that the process is important to getting there? Mm. Wow, that's a and that's a big question, and you know there, there 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 may be immediate needs that have to that have to be met before you can get to that. Certain certainly depending on on what the crisis is, but when you have a crisis, it is also um, you know you've got people's attention, and if the crisis is something that that say something has to be rebuilt, um, I guess the 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 basic question is, was that structure working for the community in the first place? And sometimes it's hard to look at something that we've loved um, and say, no, it's not working for us or it's not working for all of us. And I don't have any, you know, golden lasso to to pull people together uh, and help them, you know, do things like see alternate futures um, if you hear some options, if you let's talk about all the things we can do and get them listed. Uh, let's then um, try and tell ourselves some stories about the past and how the, how the th- how how we've come to be where we are, and then how do we advance that story into the future? You know, who what stories can we tell based on what we might do? I think it's a long process, and it can't come from outside the community. It really has to come from people with within the community. And you've got to uh, be able to have an ongoing, long-term relationship and that trust in order to even be able to help them ask the questions. Um, so there is no real quick silver bullet, I don't think. But you might you might know of one. If you, if you do, I'm 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 all ears because the beauty of all of this work is that we're learning every day, and every community we engage with, we learn. And um, I spent a lot of time on talking about that that initiative you know, over you know the last fifteen years. I've spent a lot of time on eighty one, and I've, as I'm driving back toward Roanoke, where I live, on eighty one at the end of you know a stretch of time away from home, um, or even after a, a, a one meeting, you know I spend most of the time reflecting on the conversations. Uh, how did the conversations go? What could I have done differently? How could I have been uh, better support for the community? Uh, and there, it's that's why this is so uh, engaging and rewarding uh, because there is no there's no one answer. Hmm. So, how do you normally approach that conversation? You've been invited. I presume it's normally an invitation into a new community. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. So a community will you know will often be looking for resources around a specific project, and they'll have something that they know they want to do. Um, and 
or someone in the community says, hey, what about this? So we try to use experience from working across communities uh, to help the, the leader who, who wants to pull people together to help them do just that. Um, sometimes we have to step back and that um, they're, the person who has the idea for, the, for a project, which requires community collaboration around it, uh, might have already gone through the learning process and a thought process that the community as a whole hasn't gone through. Mm. So there might be ways to, to step back. Uh, and, and sometimes it's hard, too, because especially you think about an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, they're not the most patient uh, spirits necessarily. Thank goodness they're not, they're, not, they're not patient. But we might have to say, hey, uh, l- let's step back a little bit um, and, and kind of engage in a process. Uh, and now getting that person and some others in the community to help design the process and let them look at some choices and be really transparent um, about it, then, then I think that's probably the, the best way to begin. Well, you mentioned trust, and of course, I, uh, that's my research focus. I'm very interested in that. And there's some uh, research out there that would suggest that trust in the process can make up for differences in trust amongst the community members. I wonder if you've seen that happen before. Yeah, and I, I probably won't be able to pull up like one specific moment, but I hope I don't. Well, I, you just saw my body relax when you. When you said when you said that, my whole body just responded to that that comment, and when when you spend time facilitating meetings, there's so much pressure. There's so much pressure for the person who is standing there because you've got say you've got 45 people in the room, and that's a lot of uh, person hours. They are they're busy. They have families. They have businesses. They have jobs, uh, and it's it's a commitment for them to be there. So you a you feel a lot of pressure just with the time that 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 folks are committing to it, but then you feel the pressure of needing to be an expert in um, you name it. Um, pick an industry, pick a community's history, pick pick anything that's important to that conversation. Um, but I remember Michelle Jones, who I worked with. I think she was she was one of the ones. I've heard, you know, of course, you, you need these reminders of, um, on an ongoing basis. But you know, for someone to say, "Hey, hold it, just relax. You're in charge of the process." Now, what are the goals for the process? Well, my my goal for the process is for every voice in that room to be heard. My goal for the process is for there to be a certain amount of comfort in the room so that um, we can actually observe and see where there are tension points, see who doesn't agree, see who doesn't get a, get along. There's got to be a little bit of um, trust even to come into the room, right? There's got to be a little bit more trust for someone to open their mouth and speak. Um, so we want to make sure from the beginning it, it, that, um, that we're sending signals. And sometimes that is openly stating what our values are, that our values are that we want to hear from everyone. So um, the job of the facilitator, is, or if you're bringing people together, is to focus on that process. In a way, that is a big relief because there's a lot, there's a, so much I don't know. <laughs> so much I don't know. There's a lot I don't know even about, you know, about facilitation. Um, but I'm comfortable enough in getting up and hopefully building trust and showing, showing my intention 
And it might be that um, I'm going to learn something in that meeting. But if I can do it openly and say, hey, and let people know, um, oh, wow, thank you. You just taught me something. Here's what I could have done differently. And I love a process timeout where you, where you and we do the timeout side and say, okay, timeout. Let's talk about what happened here and how we were just having that conversation. Now, how else might we have that conversation? And if you do that a few times and people see you are committed to that process, then they, then they do feel better. Hmm. Well, it seems like there's a, uh, from what you said there, there's a certain humility that comes into it too, that you need, they need to see that you're not coming in with the answers, that you need, that you're actively interested in hearing what they have to say. Yeah, that, it doesn't matter what role you're in in the meeting, the worst thing you can do is know everything. Uh, and I think a lot and talk a lot about, say, our elected officials, and our elected officials sit up sit up there in that position of power and feel a lot of pressure that they need to have all the answers and they need to know the answers very quickly. Uh, and that does such a disservice um, on, the, on the, the process, the decision-making process, uh, on the leaders themselves, uh, because we want to have people who can learn um, as they're doing the work. We've got to be able to learn individually. We've got to be able to learn as a community together. And the barriers toward that, and you know, and people are out throwing darts left and right. And there's a lot of reasons why people don't even want to run for office or want to step up with an idea because it's going to be, a, it becomes public. Uh, and they have to learn lessons openly. Well, why can't that be okay? Why can't we go ahead and learn uh, as a community, learn individually, uh, and be pretty proud about that? You know, but that you've there, you've got to be humble to do that because you're going to be humbled anyway, <laughs> right? <laughs> hmm. Well, um, you know, I wonder you've done this work as a consultant, as you know, someone who comes in and has to build those relationships, but then you're gone, you know, at the end of the day or whatever, and now. You're engaged in your home community, Roanoke, uh, in a fairly intense project as an arts and culture coordinator. How is your kind of approach different as you look at engaging in your home community versus others? Wow, oh, that's a really good question, and it kind of kind of hits it hits at the heart of things. Um, I'll you know, there's a reason why uh, at the university level you have sabbaticals. Um, you need to take a break once in a while and of course we were all in a way handed a break at with the pandemic and that my travel schedule you know ended um the work didn't end and we got busier than ever in lots of ways especially with all the relief funding that, that was coming through um but uh it was a, a chance for me to take a little bit of a pause and um that intensive work working with communities and I've worked with some communities for a long time where they would have stops and starts. And you can be involved with a community and have a vision. You know, it's hard not to work in a community, have your own little vision in the back of your mind of what's possible because um, that's, part, that's part of the fun. You know, you always, uh, you know, you keep that to yourself and, you, and it's not your community. Um, but sometimes I would, I would feel maybe a little... A little disappointed uh, when a when a group would fall apart, 
um, or a community would fall apart uh, and uh, kind of abandon an effort that they'd worked really hard toward. So, um, and because it's out of your control. Um, and in your own community, things are a little bit more in your control. At least you think they are. You pretend that they are. Um, and the level of commitment, uh, if it's your community, you, you, your vision does start to matter. Um, uh, that said, you can take the, the, the uh, emphasis on the process you can take the lessons that you've learned uh, in working with other communities and the lessons that you've learned in observing other communities and hopefully put them to work in your own community. Uh, and the nice thing is that uh, everything you do locally, and I've been involved locally for a long time, uh, and I've always you know, taken, taken things I've learned locally and shared them across the, the state as well. And so that's, that's one thing I'm, I'm looking at as well with the work we're doing in Roanoke. How can we help other communities do the same kind of work also? Hmm. Is it different? Um, uh, you know, you're, you're um, how to frame this. So, you know, I think of, you know, your work in Roanoke, there's a there's an inherent question mark as I kind of going back to the question earlier of um, allowing the art to be the art that you're as a, as you work for as a city employee or as a state employee on a on a, for DHCD you know there's a there's a pressure to maintain uh, the status quo of some level or at least not rock the boat too violently but the arts are also a place where it's you know anything is possible and you can go in incredibly subversive directions and I kind of wonder how you marry those two and what the difficulty is in being a uh, putting on public art and allowing it to be art while also having to report to a city manager who doesn't want riots in the end of capitalism in, in some ways under his right well I don't want I don't want those either right <laughs> right uh, and I this is I, I well. I, let me say that I feel tremendous support from leadership in the city of Roanoke, uh, and I feel like the work that we're doing and exploring um, the arts and artists as elements of change and um, ele- you know, agents of community development. Um, I think as we're doing that, people are starting to kind of understand maybe what what we're doing. Um, and the thing, I haven't gotten really the ne- any negative feedback yet. Uh, I, I will say that as well, it's at the fundamental level, all we're doing is trying to, uh, you know, increase the proximity between government and its people that we are um, trying to put resources in people's hands, individual artists who have an idea. um, And those artists, we hope, are representing all of us. So that if I live in a community and I have an idea and I'm willing to put in the work and uh, the effort to bring in my neighbors and make this happen, then we should have structures in place to help that. Uh, And right now, I think, you know, we do a plan and we have a plan in place, and then someone comes and says, hey, I have an idea. Like, well, that's not in the plan. You know, we haven't created a budget because our budget for, you know, for that, for this 
you know, kind of these kinds of efforts because it's not in the plan. Our budget's advancing the plan. And the plan was written 10 years ago. Uh, and our, our community changes so much faster. So I think we're just trying to be more responsive to citizens. And that's what all of this is about. So right, so at that level, um, I don't see a challenge. I do see a challenge when, yes, the status quo is going to be questioned. Um, we need to continue to question the status quo. It's part of being in a democracy. It's part of, in, part of living in a, in a community. It's part of watching out for your brothers and sisters in the community. So I do think that uh, there'll be people, there'll be projects that people won't agree with. Um, but fortunately, we have a 15-member appointed city arts commission. And, and those people um, make recommendations to council. Council approves uh, the way that we spend the money. Uh, additionally, when we do a panel, and you've served on a panel before for us, when we have a panel, it's um, citizens and stakeholders. And we try and really, again, you know, try and have a, a good process for things. So it's never just my idea or, or my vision, um, but we hope that we are advancing the city's comprehensive plan, City Plan 2040, um, through arts and culture. So we've already got a mandate where we can point back to and say, well, hey, the city says interwoven equity is important. And here's the history behind it that's in the plan. And it tells us why we need to focus on it. So we take that as a mandate. And this is why we're creating say, the Art Matters grants, which advance justice, wellness, and inclusion. And we ask artists to tell us how they can do that. Hmm. Well, it's such, uh, so interesting uh, to think about your background and your statement earlier that your job as a facilitator is to give everyone kind of a platform where they feel comfortable speaking and you want to hear from everyone. Uh, you know, there's been a immense increase in the last 15, 20 years in the pursuit of equity and inclusion and, and local government and, and business in every sector of our lives. Uh, you kind of like that role of a facilitator seems to almost uh, predicate your work on that sense of equity and inclusion in the conversation. But I just wonder, can you speak a little bit to how that has kind of evolved in, in your work that focus on equity and inclusion? Well, it's always been there pretty front and center. Um, and that's part of our role at DHCD as well. When we tell a community, you need to have a, um, a management team. And here's a list of who needs to be on the management team. And it needs to represent uh, the community. And we also say things like you need to have the curmudgeon on your, on your, on your planning team. But we will look, I can think of a community in particular where um, there was an investment recommended, but the agency came back and said, um, or the community wanted to make an investment. We said, no, wait a minute. There's another neighborhood over here that has not been invested in. We have to ask why that neighborhood hasn't been invested in. And we have to say, we, we have to serve, you know, we, we don't serve the, the jurisdiction. We are, we serve the residents of the Commonwealth. So in that way, it's been front and center. And, and we have, and we ask those questions out loud. Um, and that is part of the role of the capacity development specialist at the agency. So it's always been there. Um, and prior to that, I spent five years in California at an organization called the Great Valley Center. And I ran leadership programs and youth programs. And we had a program called IDEAL. It was the Institute for the Development of Emerging Area Leaders. And very specifically uh, in that 
a leadership program which spanned 16 counties. We created a very diverse group of people, but our stated goal was to make the uh, councils, commissions, boards of supervisors, nonprofit boards uh, look like the communities they served. Because in one case, there was a community that was 98% Latino and had an all-white council. So, and uh, that program uh, was from, I guess I worked with it from 1999 to 2004 and learned a lot in that. But it's okay to be upfront with with goals when um, we have to be upfront with goals. We have to be able to talk about it. Uh, And it's not always comfortable in a community to talk about it. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at, at, there's a bookshelf behind Brad, your head, and um, I'm looking at the books, and I'm just thinking how important those books are. And we're on a university campus and how, how important that learning is. And uh, even though I've been doing that work, looking back toward, you know, 1999, um, like in the last, since... I don't know, since we've, I've been doing that Book City Roanoke project, and we've intentionally been reading books about around equity and engagement. And that has helped me grow and be able to have the conversation um, in ways that, that I think, um, you know, work, doing that work in California was different than doing it in Virginia. Um, and, but, but kind of that deep dive of reading where after every book club, people say, well, we're just reading a book. It's not really doing anything. Well, wait a minute. We're listing all the things we can do as an individual. We're listing things we can do as an organization. And it is going to shape our work daily, day to day. Um, and I know it has. So, um, yeah, I, it, I think it's, got, it's at the core of, of what I do. But I hope I'm getting better, better and better at it. And we can all look back at, at moments where and structures that we've lived with that we've been blind to. And so we're going to continue. We're going to, we're going to leave here and, you know, next month see something else that we have, someone else who has not been seen as fully human. And we're going to, and, and we're going to have to acknowledge it and we're going to have to ask how we improve it and we're going to have to make those improvements. That's a really powerful way of, of framing that. Um, uh, I want to go back to your book point because I think that that's uh, I know something uh, that's important for you as a writer and a reader that uh, books are uh, books matter Um, can you but they're not always the first art form that people think about when they think about the arts being engaged in a community they think about murals and plays and other things. Uh, can you speak a little bit about why you think it's important for communities to engage with books and, and why they matter? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is just, I, you know, this is my personal hat, I guess. You know, in a way, it's how I connect. Um, and, and I, yeah, I, I connect. Um, I think that there is something about that extended conversation that you have with an author of a book that you don't get through um, a screen, a device, uh, when you're reading a short article. Um, you can read a New York Times article. Sometimes they, get, they, they go longer. Often I'll read a New York Times article and they go, oh, here's the book I need to read about that. And it just takes that for me to be able to, um, it's that, yeah, that, that extended argument 
that someone is making and then I end up having in my own head, you know, a book is never just about the, the writer, it's about the reader too and what they're bringing to it. And it's how I process. And then when we come together as a community, and I was amazed, the first, one of, and you and I, you were involved with this, the, um, the Dar Williams book, What I Found in a Thousand Towns, mm-hmm. and we did that 10-week kind of mini conference uh, around this book. And I was so excited that on average we had 35 people in the room for every chapter that people would take that time and read a book chapter by chapter and go deep and explore their own community through the lens of that book. Um, and it was really powerful to me. And I know that the, that it has shaped how I, how I do work today. Um, but in, um, it is a lonely thing to sit and write. It can be, it can seem, it doesn't, it never seems lonely to me to sit, (laughs) to sit and read. I always feel like I'm surrounded by friends uh, with a book in my hand. You can put that on needlepoint if you want to, Brad. <laughs> but but I, I do have a great group of and, – and I, I can be an introvert. I can sit home and be happy reading. Um, but we've been doing this Change Academy in Roanoke in partnership with the library. And the people who have been coming to that, I mean, I just – I have – I mean, they're friends – uh, I've, I've, I've connected with them in meaningful, deep ways through these deep conversations. And I guess that's it. You know, the books help us go deeper. And I long for that, typically, you know, in, in most days where you're getting things done. And at the end of the day, I'm like, it, it, it doesn't, it, it's, it's not a satisfying day unless I found some way to, to, to go deep. Hmm. Well, it's a, I, uh, that raises the question for me of uh, uh, art and reflection going hand in hand. You mentioned earlier your drives back and forth being this time of reflection, which I think is a, an incredible lesson to, to take away that, you know, without reflection, we don't learn very much at all. And it's very, you know, it's hard to read a book without reflecting on it. And it, uh, uh, in some ways, looking at a mural doesn't necessarily, it can lead to the same levels of reflection. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily lead there necessarily in the same way that a book might. So I just, it's an interesting thought to think about, uh, um, the reflection being a part of the, the experience of the art and that the more time we can allow ourselves to be with it, the book better. In a book, you just can't, you can't look at it and move on. You have to spend time with it in some ways. You, you really hit something there for me. And I go to say the, you know, the museum, I'll go to the Taubman uh, for the artist talk. And it's my, it makes the art so much more meaningful to me. I just, I engage with it in a different way. Um, And interpretive information, the didactics around, um, around, uh, say, a mural um, or a sculpture that we have in the park. Um, you know, we have we do a temporary sculpture call, and this year the theme was um, reimagining Roanoke, and it was you know, repurposed materials, 50% had to be in each sculpture. Mm-hmm. And then we asked artists, to, and we described our community, and we asked them to interpret this for us. And so I can walk by one of those pieces and not see any of that. Uh, and and to me, we do lose something. Um, and and uh, people need, people will come to it and engage in their own way. And if they just love it because it's beautiful and it adds and it, and it sparks some joy, that's awesome. That that's got to be fantastic. Where 
people might be willing to go a little bit deeper. We've got to have some tools for that. And hopefully that's conversation. Are there ways we can engage people in conversation around the art? And uh, we'll set up a camera sometimes and, or, and, and get people on film talking about the art down there. Not on film, on digital, I guess. <laughs> talking, talking about the art. But when we're down there and we get to engage people, it, you know, it, it, it takes it to another level. And when you're, we were down there at Festival in the Park one year, and I got people on camera, and it was just, it was an incredibly diverse group of people. Um, I think we had maybe six or seven on this one little piece about the art, and they were, they were profound. The statements they made, what they saw in the art, um, again, it's just like the, the, with the reader in the book. You know, they, people are reflecting more than I think we give them credit for sometimes. But they don't always have someone to say, hey, um, you know, this piece looks like to me or this piece evokes in me. Um, sometimes, sometimes their partner doesn't want to hear it anymore, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But then if we can, if things like that can help us connect with somebody, say it's um, a person walking down the street who you don't know, and you just say, hey, what about this? Um, that's, that, that's cool. That's kind of a community I want to live in. Hmm. And I think uh, to go back to something you mentioned early, very early on about the stories that when you're engaged in this, that you're, the stories that the communities tell about each other, those are... That's really what you're hearing in that interpretation, right? Is someone's story of that piece of art, and there, uh, and it's allowing them to connect with others through those stories that they have there. Yeah, yeah, and and we're story we're story makers, storytellers, right? We want we want those opportunities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so um, you work with a lot of communities. You're working with people on the ground doing the work in a tangible place but those communities are always working as part of a larger society and I kind of wonder how you see that larger bent of the society playing out in those local community conversations well my mind went in a couple of different directions Um, one is that there are you know we're talking about economic development community development and they're just basic trends in economic development in particular that um, that one community does something and another community does it and it just just kind of travels through and that's where I think the arts might help us kind of have a leg up in a way if we are you know using um, you know our specific unique lenses um, and specific creative processes um, if we're applying that in the world around us we're going to come up with a different different solution to a challenge or a different potential for a community. I think um, that's one that's one aspect. Um, the more we honor the local and and again just put resources in locals hands and, and tools that will have more unique outcomes. Um, there are um, you know there are political trends as well. My mind went there when you when you said that, and you know more often than not. And I know that you've got you can't be naive. You have to understand the politics of things in a community. You've got to understand it so you so you um, 
yeah, so that you so you're able to best facilitate and create that space for a community to 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 have create outcomes. Um, but every community, every community has good people in it who want to make their place better, and somehow that rises above all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it can, and I think it I think it should. Um, and maybe working together and rolling sleeves up and getting a project done in a community where there might be a split, maybe that's a good thing. Hmm. Well, again, it goes. It, it, your response reminds me of the process question, and it goes back to. Um, and I guess I'll just ask if, in the end, you know, you often have outcomes, you know. You'll help a, a town put a get a hotel, or you know, you, with the Crooked Road, you've got this tour, whatever it is. Um, do you often feel that the process that you've helped folks go through is more impactful than the outcomes, the tangible outcomes that you see at the end of the day? Yeah, I yeah, yes. I, you know, you pick the, you pick the project. The Crooked Road was really about these, um, at the beginning, uh, it's a region now, but at the beginning it was about, um, uh, these major venues that were being invested in, in the community. So the Ralph Stanley Museum, the Floyd Country Store. So, um, those, if you think about even pulling a community together and saying, um, okay, what do you have to contribute? Who wants to play what role? We're going to, we're, you know, if, with, it, with an arts phrase, it's, hey, kids, let's put on a show. We're going to create something and invite people to, to look at it in a way. So um, you, if, a, if nothing has happened in a community for a while and no one and, and people haven't pulled together for a success and you get a success, that can, that can last. It can be that touchstone. So um, we work with communities when they are doing in the community development block grant process and a community will apply for a planning grant where we uh, ask that they build a team and they go through a process and, and identify, you know, why they're there, what kind of investments will help them achieve their goals. And they have a plan at the end of that. So often they will then come to us for a construction grant. Um, and we had found that in the time it took us to give them a construction grant, the team had fallen apart. So we would do, we developed a build program uh, with our partners around the table at Opportunity Southwest Virginia called Rally Southwest Virginia. And the idea there was just to engage in a process where we would leave tools with them um, so that they, we were reinforcing the process and making the process important. Okay, you've got to make a decision. Now, how are you going to make that decision? What's your criteria going to be for the decision? You know, what is, what is consensus? How are your decisions typically made? Okay, is there a better way to make those decisions? What information do you need? Do you have enough information? Uh, when, are, when, are, when are you frozen? When can you not make the decision? Why is it that you're not making a decision right now? Those things we hope last, <laughs> would last into the construction grant. So, that when, so these $3,000 rally grants hopefully provide tools that help them with their million-dollar streetscape mm-hmm. improvement grant. So, yeah, I, you know, I hope that there are some process tools that we can leave behind. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, 
Uh, really appreciate your time today, Doug. And one final question for you here. Um, you know, there's a lot of future urban planners or regional planners or people that are care about their communities here on campus. What would you, what bit of feedback would you leave with folks that are interested in, in doing the kind of work that you do? Uh, well, I think this, I'm not going to provide any, any earth shattering wisdom. I think I'll just offer that, you know, curiosity is, curiosity is it. No matter what you're curious about right now, just follow that path. You know, um, I'm a big reader, so I'll follow paths in, in, in reading. And I used to say, oh, I have a list. I got to read this book, this book, this book. And then I've kind of thought, thought aside, you know, what am I, what do I want to know right now? And I just, I, I really, it took me, how, how long did it take me to realize this? That I engage so much differently when I really am following that curiosity. And and you don't have to know exactly what your dream job is, uh, but uh, if you're following your curiosity and um, digging in, you know, those experiences really matter. Um, so I've had a real winding path in my career, but I, everything is everything contributes to what I'm doing now. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on the Trustees Without Borders podcast. For more information on the Community Change Collaborative, please check out our website, ccc.ipg.vt.edu, or any of the social media platforms. Additionally, as always, we do invite you to explore our back catalog of episodes and enjoy the thoughts of some of the amazing thinkers and doers we've had on this program. Thank you, and have a great day.